May God bless us this morning as we've suddenly experienced this opportunity to go from just being worshipful spectators to a people who are singing anthems of hope to one another. I, I could see your faces and I could see how some of you, it was very obvious how moved you were as you're thinking about what that involves, as you're thinking about reunions with loved ones. And some of you are like, wow, I've never thought of this before, but I guess, yes, there is, a, there is an end to this. And some of us were just, hey, this is new. This is interesting. Brent's in the middle, and we're singing. But at least we were singing, and we're, we're involved in this. And what an amazing process that is. And, and I think that we as God's people have got to be more and more creative to remind one another that that there is a plan. There is a plan for the future. And there's a plan for you and I. And that life is not aimless. It's not meaningless. Because there are so many messages out there in the air that tell us, and, and we buy into this, don't we, church? That, that, oh, you know, life is miserable and then you die. And we add things to that. I mean, that, that kind of thinking gets in our head. And we, we, we don't need to let that happen. Or we say things like, he who dies with the most toys wins. You know, it's a dog-eat-dog world, and the only way to get through this is you have, to, you, know, you have to fight for yours. We get caught up in this time and this place, and we lose sight of what God is doing. And that means there's a lot of peril that's out there. A lot of danger. And so we need to be reflecting His light. Not only so all of us can get through it, that's certainly part of it. And what you did today was encourage someone. Some of you may have started out this moment, this worship, thinking, okay, it's another worship. I don't have a lot that I expect today. Just get through it. Get through this day. And then I'm going to go home take a nap. And now, because of what we've done in here, you suddenly have that glimpse of Jesus in glory. Knowing that that's the future that you and I have been called to. Well, we're going to reflect that light and be beacons. And we've got to encourage one another. Our text for today is one of the ancient songs of God's people. Now, it's a prophecy. I call it a song because it would have been well known. In fact, this Scripture is so well known that Jesus chooses to read this in the synagogue from Isaiah 61 the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor he has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed he has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, He will give a crown of beauty for ashes. A joyous blessing instead of mourning. Festive praise instead of despair. And in their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for His own glory. They will rebuild ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago they will revive them 
though they have been deserted for many generations. This text rings with hope. It's a prophecy spoken some 800 years before Jesus. That means that when Jesus stands up to read this text in the synagogue, he is, he is as far away from this prophecy in Isaiah as you and I are of the Magna Carta. Some of you are asking, what on earth is a Magna Carta? Look it up. Later. Not now. Later. But there's that much history between then and now for Jesus, and now there's another Two millennia between us and Jesus reading this. In those nearly three millennia, 3,000 years, God's people have been looking forward. They've been looking forward to this promise that God is going to make things good again. That the worst things are not going to win. That life is not going to be miserable and then we die. That we're going to be like mighty oaks and we can withstand all that life brings our way. For Israel, when they were captives, this was a promise that they were going to be freed. For the people in sin and in darkness in the time of Jesus, this was a message when Jesus identified with this and He said, I am the one that Isaiah is talking about. And for us, it's a promise That this world does not end in disaster, but it ends at a time of God's choosing, God's way, and for God's glory. Now, that's what we call the second coming of Christ. Have you ever wondered why we call it the second? What's the first coming of Christ? It's when He comes to this world. Around this time of year, people are going to be thoughtful and mindful of a child born in a manger. And there's a tendency to want to leave everything off at that sentimentalism. Oh, look at the baby in the manger. And if that's not cute enough for you, we'll throw in a lamb and a donkey. Yay! We like babies. But you come back next week and we're going to talk about what the birth of a king means. And in fact, next week we've got one service at 10.30. That's it. That's what we're doing next week. On Christmas Eve, one service, 10.30, and I want you to bring friends. I want you to dare to invite people that you think, you know what, they would never darken the door of a church, but on Christmas Eve, they might, they might. So you bring them next week. But for now, what we need to focus on is the second coming of Jesus, that that child that was born in a manger, who grew up to be the man that preached in the synagogue, who grew up to be the Lord, who was crucified on the cross, who then was resurrected and taken up into heaven. And the promise was given that in the same way He was taken up into heaven, He will come back again. That means real. In the flesh. In the resurrected, glorious body. He will come back. And it's, it's our expectation and it's our hope. And i got three words I, wanna, I want you to, to take with you today and think about this. Expectation. Anticipation and preparation. And it takes a little bit of preparation to come up with three words that end in T-I-O-N that you can take home with you. Because I don't want you to forget these. Expectation, anticipation, and participation. We may have lost our sense 
of waiting for His return. When I talk to you about the return of Christ, it might be the thing that strikes terror in your heart. I can remember as a child praying, God, hold back. I'm not ready. I want to live life a little bit. Then you can send Jesus back. One of the worst prayers I've prayed in my entire life. At least I could blame it on being a dumb kid. Or we ignore His return because we get distracted. We get distracted by things and we lose our sense of anticipation. You see, we tend to expect the worst. Maybe we've heard that when God comes back, it's the great grand gotcha moment where He comes back and says, Aha! You thought you could get away with it. And we've heard that it's terrifying and terrible. When really, we've been told that this will happen. We should expect it. And we should expect it with hope. And we might lose our sense of anticipation that we're waiting for it, and we just get caught up in the things of this world. And every day is the same. And maybe we just sign off on our expectations and our anticipation and then we say God you've got this taken care of you're going to do the second coming so I'm just going to go about my everyday life and then we forget that all of this goes to that point and when we do that we neglect our preparation for the return of Jesus and I'm going to tell you why that's important because I want you to imagine with me for just a second that we have a device, some sort of device that allows us to send a message into the past. All right? This isn't Neil deGrasse Tyson stuff. This is just, you know, just play with me for a second, okay? Imagine that we've got a way of sending a message into the past. What message would you send to yourself in December 2019? You catch on to the date here, right? Yeah. Some of us today have COVID, and it's not a new thing. But we were just figuring it out four years ago in December of 2019. Now, if you could tell your past self, you need to get prepared for this. For some of us, it would be pretty silly. Quick, go to the store and get toilet paper. Now. Some of us, might be warning our past self, listen, do not, whatever anyone says, do not watch Tiger King. You won't be able to unsee it and you won't get those hours of your life back. It's not worth it. For some of us, it might be rather serious. We might say, you need to spend more time with your grandparents. You might need to spend more time with a loved one. You might need to tell some people that they need to take this very seriously. And others may need to know, well, take it seriously, but don't stop enjoying life. You see, we went through an event that we were not prepared for. Now, we could have known some things. We could be prepared. Give us a little bit of grace because in our country at least we hadn't been through a pandemic in over a hundred years but we had to get prepared very quickly 
A message from the future might have helped, but guess what? For such things as this, there is no message from the future. We can prepare for the next pandemic. We don't know anything about it. We don't know how it's going to work. We've learned some lessons. But there's just things we can't know. On the other hand, when it comes to the return of Christ, we have the message from the future, don't we? Don't we already have that message from the future? God is not playing games with us. He has said, I want you to know what to expect. I want you to know what you can anticipate. And I want you to be prepared. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul is writing to a group of believers who are, they are fresh believers in Thessalonica. They haven't been at this very long. They don't have all the background that Paul and some of the other disciples have. They're just learning about this, but they've heard about this day of the Lord. They've heard that the Lord is coming back. They don't know the precise date, but they believe that it could happen in their life. And so, Paul says, now listen, about times and dates, we don't need to tell you about that. We don't need to write to you about that. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. You see, they had heard, in a roundabout way, that the day of the Lord had already come and they missed out. That the bus left town and they're stranded. And he says, no, 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 no. no. That's, that's not the way it's going to be. Because you go back a chapter to 1 Thessalonians 4 and he says, trust me, when that happens, no one's going to ignore it. It's going to happen. And it's going to be noticeable. But when he says it comes as a thief in the night, he's saying, you don't expect that. Now, you know you could get ripped off it's not a matter of 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 if it's a matter of when but you can't really prepare for it specifically you can't say to yourself well you know it's december 17th this is a good day to be ripped off so we'll put out the security now no you have to prepare for it as an eventuality at any time this thief in the night business tends to come across to us and we get all scared like Jesus is coming to rob us or do us harm. He's saying, no, the thief in the night is the kind of thing that you prepare for even though you don't know precisely when. You're ready for it. You're ready for it. So don't take the analogy too far like some have. Jesus is not the scary thief who's coming to harm. So we're ready for it. And readiness is a large portion of what discipleship looks like in Scripture. Jesus wants us to be ready. He wants us to be ready now to expect His return. When? What does it matter when? The disciples even asked Him. They said, hey, when is this going to happen? When are you going to let us know? And He goes, you don't need to worry about that. You don't need to worry about the when. Just know that it's going to happen and always be ready. Because if we're not always ready... Guess what's going to happen to us? We're going to get sloppy. We're going to get sloppy. You know right now, some of you, that you've got a project that you've got to turn in before the last day of school. And some of you, oh, I got some attention over here. And, and some of you haven't even worked on it. You know why? Because you know what the due date is. You know how I know that? Because that's the way I used to do it. Yeah. Hey, I've got weeks then. I don't have to worry about it. 
But when you don't know, you're going to always be ready. And readiness is good for us. Because readiness makes us anticipate things. Children anticipate next Monday because they know how exciting it is. Is it Christmas yet? Is it time yet? We can't wait for it. When we become adults and we, can, and we think we outgrow all that, eh, we don't anticipate it as much. We want to know when it's over. But all of it requires participation. And so it is with the return of Jesus. Church, when we get in, this, this message isn't going to get left here today. And we're not going to live it out. I want us to take this into 2024. I want us to always be doing stuff that prepares us. At the beginning of the year, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to encourage everybody to read the Bible together in a year. And you know why? Not because you're going to get a badge that says, I read the Bible in a year. Not because you get a little star. But because reading God's Word is going to prepare you for every day that you live in expectation and anticipation of the great glorious future that we were just singing about a few minutes ago. Readiness. Readiness is good for us. Because readiness alerts us to the toxicity of sin. When we're not ready, we think that sin is something we can play around with. We think that sin, well, it's bad, but there's kind of medium level sin, and then there's big sin, and then there's sin that gets you in a lot of trouble. When we're ready, we know that in the future, when Christ comes back, there is no sin in that future that He ushers in. All such sinfulness, all such rebellion to God is going to be eradicated from the new heaven and the new earth. So why would you be holding on to it? We ought to be treating sin like hot potato. You don't want to be caught holding that. Get rid of that. This is why even in the days... Of, of the Passover. They cast out the yeast because that was a message of readiness. You know why the bread had to be flat? Because you're ready. You're ready to go. You're ready to leave Egypt. Get that bread. Put it in the oven. Don't give it time to rise. Put on your traveling shoes. Put on your traveling gear. You're going to have you a meal to go. we got to be ready, ready, ready. And We're going to cast out the sin. That's how we're going to get ready. Readiness arouses our senses and we recognize lies and delusions. So when people start telling us, well, this is what you have to hope in, and we start noticing things like Jesus and. When our hope is in Jesus and enough money and enough talent and enough... See, then we start buying into the lies and delusions. And, and, and in a while, when you start trusting in Jesus and what this church can do, Jesus and the right kind of preacher, Jesus and the right kind of styles, Jesus and the right kind of connections, we start to just skip over the Jesus and part because we think we know that. And so then we start lying to ourselves and to others and we say, oh yeah, here's what we got to do. We got to do this. We got to reach out to people in this way. We got to do this. We got to be more attractive. We got we to uh, offer these things. You know what? Maybe these things aren't so wrong. Maybe we need to just ignore some of these sins because it would be a whole lot better if everybody just, you know, didn't really care anymore. And then we were all just, you know, just kind of one big happy family, wouldn't it? And then everything would just be fine. And then once again, we're not ready. We get sloppy. And we lose our readiness. We lose our expectation, anticipation, 
and our preparation. But readiness will keep us sharp. Readiness inspires us to live in expectation of an amazing and hopeful future. When you're ready, then you know that something better is coming your way. When you're ready, then you're prepared for things that are greater. Now, we tend to think of eternity as the hereafter, not the here and now. I got news for you. Good news. If you don't hear anything else today, then listen to this. You ready? Ready? Eternity is here and now. Yeah, it is. Eternity is an extension of what we're moving into. Eternity does not have a start date. You're thinking, wait a second, eternity doesn't have an end date. Yeah, it's eternal. Eternal. In other words, it doesn't have an end. It also doesn't have a beginning. Okay, some of you want me to prove that, right? Okay, all right. Here we go. God. God is eternal. We can accept that. So God has no ending. And where did God begin? He has no beginning. He is eternal. So even now, God is working eternity. He is in eternity, and He's inviting us into that. So our readiness is our participation in that eternity even now. It is beyond time. And so you and I right now live in expectation of that hope. There's a wonderful story that I remember uh, being told. I don't even know if it's true or it's apocryphal, but I love this story. And it's a story about prisoners of war in World War II. They had a secret radio. You know, they, you could cobble together these little radios and you would get news from the outside. Because one of the ways that they work with prisoners of war is you isolate them from all contact. You break their hope. Not just their bodies. But they got this word. And they're in this German POW camp. And they got word that the war was over and Germany had surrendered. Now that news had not just reached the POW camp. But the prisoners suddenly, they change. They're walking around with smiles on their face. They're, they're looking at uh, the guards in a different way. You know, saying, stay out of trouble, but <laughs> you're going to be the prisoner in a few, in a few days. Because <laughs> we know the good guys are coming. Guards are trying to intimidate them with dogs, and they're sitting there, ha, 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 yeah, okay, sure, whatever. Not worried about the dog anymore. We're not going to try to escape. We don't have to try to escape. We're going to get broke out. Their demeanor and their attitude changes because they know the truth and they know what's coming. You and I are meant to be the same way. That's why we come together. That's why we sing to one another. To remind ourselves that all those lies and all that sin that's out there intimidating us, it doesn't get to win. That's not eternity. Life's not miserable and then you die. You die, and if you die in the Lord, then you've got more life ahead of you. That's the hope. That's the message. John the Baptist was carrying this message along when he was preaching and preparing the way for Jesus, he said, I, these are the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. John said, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you don't know. He's the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Cade preached this text to you last week and talked to you about what it meant to be baptized into Jesus Christ. That it is a preparation for what is to come. 
Now, John's saying, I baptize you with water. He doesn't say that the one who comes after me, there is no baptism of water. In fact, in John 3, you'll see Jesus himself tell Nicodemus, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again of water and the Spirit. It's a both and. And this is our first step of preparation for the second coming of Christ and for the return. That's the first step. If you haven't taken that first step, then I hope you're going to consider that. I hope you're going to consider that. Maybe you need to talk to somebody about it. Maybe you need to talk to one of our leaders here. Okay. I want you to think about that. I want you to let someone know. Now at this point, I've lost all of you who've been baptized. Because you're like, yeah, good, preacher. Tell them that they need to get baptized. You remember that part? It's in Romans 6.4 about walking in newness of life. Let me get your attention back. Exactly. Let me get your attention back. Are you, if you have been baptized, walking in a newness of life? Are you in expectation of His return? Are you anticipating His return? Are you ready? Are you prepared? And that means walking in newness of life. Now, you're going to say to me, wait, 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 wait. We're saved by grace, not works. Of course. Of course. But how can Jesus say well done if you haven't done something well? (laughs) How, How on earth... Uh, would you live any other way if you know what's coming? This isn't about earning salvation. This is about living out and practicing that salvation. It's a newness of life. And we're ready. And when you're ready, you live like ready people. Pray with me. Father, we ask that you would prepare our hearts and minds to walk in newness of life. If that first step means that it's a step of... um, of a watery grave and a new birth and baptism, then so be it, Father. Give us the courage to support those who need to do that and give those who need to that that courage. Father, for those of us who've been baptized into Your name for the forgiveness of sins, I pray that You would give us that courage to live in the newness of life. And now, Father, we go out from here. We sing these songs. We uh, stand ready to assist anybody who needs to be assisted. I pray that You'd give us patience and wisdom and guide us in this. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.